This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. We are so excited and thankful that we get to spend a Father's Day with you. Just for our dads in the room, I just want you to know we're for you. Uh, We believe in your calling, your mission to your family. We're here to support that, to encourage it. In the very beginning of this series, week number one, I stood before you and told you that God has embedded into us different identities as men and women. And those are replicated within the family with the identity of father and mother. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the dads that stand up to, to be the kind of dad that God's called you to be. In that week, in the first week of this series, my wife uh, shared a little bit as we started Bad Girls about uh, a bad girl from the Old Testament, Gomer, who was married to the prophet Hosea. I don't know that there's a greater story in the Bible that shows the way that we as as men are called to love our families by sacrificing all of our identity and self to literally go after and pursue what God's called us into. And Hosea did that. He was willing to show, put on display God's love as he loved his wife who was not very faithful who literally ran away from him. God did a powerful work in that. And, you know, then week two, we, we, we take that identity and we move forward. And we talk about, okay, well, if, if God did make us as men and women, what do healthy relationships look like? And we, we saw last week that healthy relationships are healthy because they have healthy boundaries. And far too often we, we kind of either get a little liberal and we, get, we, we don't have boundaries or we get a little conservative and the boundaries really aren't in the right places. And we looked, instead of looking at culture as a model, we looked at Jesus as a model. Jesus is the one that our lives are called to model after. And so we saw in Jesus that Jesus was not afraid of having relationships, friendships with women. He was very healthy in those. He was not afraid to be loved by by a woman. He wasn't afraid to show love and affection. He he did that throughout his ministry. And last week we looked at a, a very intimate moment between Jesus and a woman who happens uh, to have been a Samaritan at a well in the middle of the day. Maddie Brown did such a good job last week of walking us through that story in John 4. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about things that are honestly, they're very culturally sensitive. And if you've been the person that's been in here going, I don't want to be that kind of a woman. I'm not going to be that kind of a man. I don't want that kind of a relationship with my spouse. Maybe you can identify with the simple truth that we find it awfully hard to accept things that we aren't in control of. If you've been arguing with God in your life about something, God, I I don't want that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that kind of a woman. I don't want to be that kind of a wife. I don't want to be that kind of a husband. I don't want to be that kind of a man. If you've been arguing with God about something that God has already chosen for you, this message is for you. Today, we're going to talk about getting it wrong. You might be saying, why? Why do we need to talk about getting it wrong? It's real simple because we're all getting it wrong. (laughs) We all are. In some place, 
some sphere, some quadrant, some application in our life, there's a place that we're getting it wrong. As a matter of fact, you might not know this, but that's why we gather in a place like this. We don't come here because we've all got it together. I'm not the pastor up here because I've got all the answers and I'm living it out perfectly. As a matter of fact, we come here because in many ways we're getting it wrong and we need the presence of God to align ourselves to His Word and His ways. You don't need Jesus if you're getting it right. As a matter of fact, the gospel message is predicated. The, the first step in receiving the gospel is admitting, I'm getting it wrong. If you're spending all your effort arguing with God about how you're getting it right, this message is for you. There's no such thing as a perfect person, perfect pastor, or a perfect church because you're imperfect. When you show up to the perfect church, bad news, it all, all of a sudden it becomes imperfect because you're there, okay? All right, that's just how it works. So if it does go bad, okay, how does it go bad? How does it go bad? And, and you know what happens so many times? We won't blame somebody else. Well, it went bad because they did, and they did, and if they hadn't, you know, why does it really go bad? It's me. I get it wrong. And that's intentionally or unintentionally. And so many times, the reason that I get it wrong is I look at God's plan and I say, God, I have a better plan. I know you said to forgive, but I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to hold on to the. I know that, God, you said to be submissive and honoring, but I'm going to do this my way. It's pride. It's pride. It's looking into the heart of God and saying, God, I got a better way. I know how to do it. I know that that's what you say to be generous. I know that that's your plan for finances, that, that when I experience increase, I'll be faithful to give to the local church. But God, I'm going to do it my way. That's my money. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. See, here's the problem. When we accept pride, we reject God. You might be thinking, what's pride? Aren't I supposed to be proud of my kids and proud of my work. I mean, can, can I just give you a working definition for today? Pride is intentionally or unintentionally elevating yourself above God. It's intentionally looking at God saying, I ain't going to forgive them, God. I know that's what you said, but I'm not going to forgive them. It's unintentionally disobeying the plans and the purposes of God as well. See, today we're going to look at a story of pride. And it's from the book of Judges in the Old Testament. It's the story today. We're going to look at the story of Samson and Delilah. And it is a cautionary tale for us today. I get to introduce one of my best friends. Her name is Lindsay. Lindsay and I have been friends since we were kids. You know, I, I don't know about you, but my, my family, we didn't have friends growing up. Y'all know what I'm saying? We didn't hang out with, we hung out with family, right? That's who we hung out with. And my mom and Lindsay's mom are sisters. And growing up, they were some of our favorite people to spend time with. I don't remember a time as a kid when we didn't spend time together. And as we grew up, we became friends. And 
You know, when we decided that we were going to plant a church in Albemarle, Lindsay and her family, they were planted in a very life-giving church. We didn't approach them or ask them, but they were the very first family to come to us saying, when are you going to ask us to be a part of this? Very first family to join our launch team over a decade ago. Lindsay served the very first Sunday of our church in kids' ministry. She had never been in kids' ministry at all before that day. Didn't know what she's getting herself into. And I can tell you what, our church is better because of her service to it. I don't know a more life-giving person, a more naturally gifted encourager than her. There's not a person that she's in their life that they're not better for it. So I want you to welcome Lindsay Toole. Well, good morning. So I, before I get started, I just want to take a second to say how um, grateful and thankful I am to be a part of our church, but also to have the opportunity to serve and lead in our kids' ministry. If you are a kids' volunteer in here, I want you to know how much I love y'all. Like, our kids' ministry is so good because you're a part of it and you pour into it, and I'm just super thankful for that. And for our parents, I want to say thank you, too, for allowing us in that partnership every week. And I also want to thank Pastor Kevin um, for, thank, for, for thanking me, for, for trust, trusting me um, to be here today and really just loving and encouraging me um, really throughout my life. So thank you, Pastor Kevin. Um, but as he gave me the topic of Delilah to speak on, I, I was a little confused. Like, how could I relate to Delilah? She is bad. She is like a hitman. She comes into the story. She gets some money, takes somebody out, and she's done. And I really wondered, how am I going to talk about this? How could I relate? And I'll just tell you that after studying for this, after writing a few versions of this message, and honestly, after one good old argument with my husband, um, it wrecked me. Um, but it also freed me. And I pray that God uses these words today to help you too. So let's get into this story. Now, just in case you're wondering, you probably already picked it up, but if you've ever Googled what's a healthy relationship in the Bible that we could mirror ours on, Samson and Delilah are not gonna be the ones that show up in your search engine. They're just not. Um, And although I'm gonna talk about Delilah here in a bit, I wanna give us a quick background on who Samson is. Samson was predestined for greatness. He was born a Nazarite, which meant that he would take a vow not to drink wine, not to touch dead bodies, and not to cut his hair, which we'll see later. Um, And we see in Scripture that as he grew in Judges 13, again, Pastor Kevin said we'll be planted in Judges for this story, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. See, the Lord blessed Samson with a supernatural strength. It was legendary. We hadn't seen anything like it before, haven't seen it since. He was so strong. And through Samson's life, all of his mighty acts of strength were in opposition to the Philistines. Samson was an Israelite, and the Philistines and Israelites didn't have a good past relationally. So um, as you can imagine, the Philistines were always looking for a way to overtake him and find out what was the source of his strength. That's where we meet Delilah, the really bad girl. 
Um, and what we, we honestly don't know a whole lot about her, um, her background, we do see in Scripture in Judges 16, verse 4, that sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. This valley was in between an Israelite territory and Philistine territory. We think maybe she was a Philistine, but again, this is all we really know. But that would make sense as we move forward into the story. And while I talked about Samson's supernatural strength earlier, I didn't mention his extreme weakness to women. And the Philistines knew this because they had seen Samson have some failed relationships with Philistine women. So when they see this relationship with him and Delilah, they go straight to her. And the leaders approach Delilah and they say, see if you can lure him into telling you the secret of his great strength. We'll each pay you 1,100 shekels of silver. There were five leaders, and I tried to research what 1,100 shekels of silver would equal, but all I can say is it's a whole lot of money. She would have been set up real nice for a while, but it was an offer that she couldn't, and she didn't refuse. Now, here's what's funny. In the Bible, this verse where the leaders go to her, they say, hey, can you do this? Literally, the next verse, we see it here on the screen. She goes straight to Samson. So Delilah said, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. She wasn't discreet at all, was she? I mean, she wasn't beating around the bush. It's like she got the money. She's like, I'm ready to get paid. I am going. And so she goes straight to him and asks this. And it's interesting what comes next because she actually asks him this three times. He hides the truth three times. Three times she asks, three times he lies. Each time the Philistines come, they try to overtake him thinking he's weak and he's not. So now what? So now we're going to go back to scripture and, and see how Delilah approaches the situation here. She says in verse 15, then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Hmm. The wise thing at this point, Samson should have ran really fast and really far away, but, but he didn't. His love for her was stronger than his wisdom in this case. The, the saying, love is blind, I think that's a perfect example of what that looks like because, in fact, in this moment, Samson doesn't leave. He tells her the truth that if his head is to be shaved, he will surely be as weak as any ordinary man. And ironically, he falls asleep in her lap and she betrays him, has his hair cut. The Philistines come, they overtake him, they bind him, they gouge his eyes out, and then they take him away as a slave. And that's the end of the love story. Um, we actually don't hear much of, don't hear of Delilah again in the rest of the Bible. So what I want to do is just kind of go back to the, to the beginning of the story. Look at this relationship, what went right. Maybe, maybe really just what went wrong and, and talk through it. So from the moment that Delilah said yes to the deal, the only thing that mattered to Delilah from that point on was Delilah, right? And what do we call that? Pastor Kevin's already set it up for us. It's a heart issue. Um, it's, a, it's a heart issue we don't like to talk about, and, and it's pride. And if we look at it in our relationships, pride is simply elevating ourselves above others. And I don't think we could disagree with that being Delilah's case in this story. 
So, so what I want to do next is I just want us to look at, at what Delilah did. I want us to practically show you some, some examples of pride that Delilah displayed, but how it also can kind of look like maybe not too far from what we see in our relationships too. So we're going to look at three examples. First thing, she disregards others. Now, she sold out Samson for a lot of money, and I'm hoping that no one in here has sold out our spouses for money either, but... If we've ever taken that mindset of, I want what I want and I'm going to get it, whatever it takes, like that's the same thing. And the second thing that she does, she gives the guilt trip. She gives a good one too. Like, how can you tell me you love me and you won't tell me your secrets? She was literally doing the same thing to him. And then it gets better because then it's like she's keeping track. Like, you've done this three times now. And you still won't. Like, do we do that? Do we bring up things that happened in the past, keep track, use it when it's convenient? I mean, we do that. And then the third thing that Delilah shows us is what pride can look like is that she nags. She nagged him until he was sick to death of it. And I think we can relate really well as kids, or if we have kids, they're good at nagging. We were good at nagging. If we wanted something, we would bug and bug and, and pester until we got what we wanted. But does that carry into to our relationships today? I mean, does any of this sound familiar? Anyone guilty? I am. You know, I mentioned earlier that this story wrecked my heart. I, I just want to tell you about it. Remember, as I'm telling this story, I was in the middle of planning for this message. And um, I'll just say it uh, after one long, and I'll just admit really rough, argument with my husband. His name is Chris. I found myself extremely frustrated. I don't know about y'all, but like when we argue, we don't argue too much, but when we do, we always go to the same place. And this argument was just that argument. We're there again, and I'm so frustrated. I want you to know, though, that the argument started out as a simple conversation that went from zero to a hundred real quick. Because I responded to a simple concern with a very prideful heart. Instead of listening, I went straight on defense mode, right? Like, you want to tell me that? Well, what about that? And you don't remember that time you did that? And how about this? Like, that's what I did. And this went on and on and on. It was exhausting. There was no resolution. And I found myself later that night um, in the bed alone and... I just cried. And I finally did the thing that I should have done before. And I just, God, help me. How, how do we fix this? And, you know, I wasn't really prepared for what came next. Because sometimes when you ask God for something, you don't get what you want to hear. Because what I got was, who do you think you are? Why do you think your feelings are more important? Why don't you listen and maybe realize that you're not all that good? I mean, when you get an answer like that, you quickly regret that you asked the question. <laughs> but, but in reality, it just really hurts sometimes when you see what you carry inside. I learned it the hard way. And I'm going to keep learning it. But the Bible warns us, and it's so important. And I want us to go to Scripture and read this in James 3, 16. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. We do that. What happens? We get angry. We get resentful. We get frustrated. We get all like me-oriented, and there's nothing good in that. We see that. Pride is dangerous. It's so natural to us, but it's so hard to detect. It's really hard to talk about. I mean, it took me a really long time to see it in myself. But there's good news. And the good news, and I really want you to see this, is that in Christ, we can put an end to pride in our lives. And we're going to see how. We're going to go through a verse of Scripture in Philippians where um, Paul is writing from a prison cell and he's reminding the church these are the kind of people that we're supposed to be don't forget this and as we walk through it I'm going to stop and give us some really practical points on how we can address and, and put an end to the pride that we carry so let's go to scripture Philippians this is going to be the first verse 3 don't be selfish I'm just going to read the yellow are there any except, uh, there's no exceptions to that I don't think so the first thing that we need to do is we just need to kill all selfishness in our lives. We live in a day and time that screams selfishness. It's all about what? Like we need to think about my money, my feelings, my career, my success. Isn't it funny that the Bible teaches us the opposite of that? So let's go to the next. Let's continue on in this verse. Be humble thinking of others is better than yourselves. So to put that into my second point is that we need to really believe that others are more important than you are. Humility is so powerful. Rick Warren said this, and I love this. I wanted to share with you how we can think about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This is good. This is biblical. This is a great way to see humility. To be humble doesn't mean you dislike yourself because you should like yourself. You should take care of yourself. But we need to first look outside of ourselves, first to God, and then to others. For me, being a mom, being a wife, those are the things that I, the identity of me, of who I'm the most proud of. But if I ever, and I have, use that to think that I should deserve something different or better because of it it's pride so let's go back to scripture we're going to continue on don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too my third point and the things that we need to do to end pride is that we need to demonstrate the importance of others by making their needs your priority let me ask this. All right, let's say we're, we have our weekend plans. It's Friday night. We know what Saturday's going to look like. Sunday too, it's all planned out. We've got our honey-do list, and your husband comes home and has had a tremendously difficult week. Maybe it's physical, mental. Do we insist on, uh, you know, doing those things we thought we wanted to do on Saturday, or do we sacrifice that to allow him to rest? Or are we the, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, and that's the way your weekend goes. Y'all, that's pride. We really need to look out for each other. And I want to go to the last part of this verse. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The fourth thing that we need to do to end pride is we need to follow the example of Jesus. What Paul's telling us in this scripture is that Jesus Christ is completely and 100% God. And if anybody could exalt himself, it was him. But he didn't. He chose not to. He humbled himself, came to earth as a man and died a criminal's death on a cross for us. Isn't that the, the most ultimate act of selflessness? Believing that others are more important? And making others a priority. If Jesus did that for you and for me, we need to do that for others too. And as I, as I wrap up today, I just want to finish with this. That pride led to a tragic end in Samson and Delilah. And it can end in our relationships too. I certainly learned through this that I can be all full of pride. Or a godly wife but I can't be both. And that night, God reminded me that, well, I could be all full of myself. I am nothing without him. And I wanna ask Pastor Kevin to finish our message. Y'all give it up for Lindsay. Wasn't that good? Wasn't that good? So good. Samson... Um, we find the story of Samson in the book of Judges. Samson's actually uh, one of the people that we would say in that book God uses as a judge. And there, there's a pattern of behavior that actually comes about that we see throughout the book of Judges. And, and this is, uh, to understand what's going on, you actually have to see this. This pattern would come that, that the people of God would, would kind of enter into a time of sin and rebellion. They, they're going to do things their own way, walk away from God. And then what would happen is because of that, God would send typically a foreign nation. The Philistines are one of those. He would send them to oppress his people as discipline to turn their hearts back to him. Then they would repent. And out of their repentance, God would raise up a judge. And those judges throughout the book of Judges would then come in, often making war against those foreign nations, and then that would enter into a time of peace. But instead of using that time of peace as a time of seeking God, going after the things of God, reestablishing and rerouting their lives in God, they would take that peace as an opportunity to then again turn away from God. And the cycle repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. There are a lot of us in this room that our lives look like that. That God has allowed you to go through some things that hurt, that were difficult, that were trials. And in that, you, you repented and you turned to God. And God brought deliverance. Then on the opposite side, when there's peace, instead of seeking God and being rooted in God, you use the peace as an attack. And I'm just turning right back to my old ways. That's what's happening in the book of Judges. Samson comes along at the end and 
God has used them. It's a remarkable story. It's very violent. Um, it's very unique. God has used him to do some incredible things. But something is very interesting about this chapter where Delilah appears. See, up until this point, Samson has done all these feats of strength. But when he's done them, the Bible will record the narrative of Scripture shows us that the Spirit of God would come on Samson. But in Judges 16, right when he's meeting Delilah, it's no longer the Spirit of God. The very first part of that chapter, actually, Samson goes to a Philistine city. He finds a prostitute. He spends the night with her. The, the town hears that he's there in their city, and they show up in the middle of the night to take him out. Samson wakes up and leaves, actually picks up the city gates. Can you imagine? Picks them up on just, you know, on his own and walks off with them. And for the first time, as he performs that, and from that moment on, God is not mentioned as being the source of Samson's strength. You know, it's easy to try to take ownership of a gift that God has obviously gave you. It's also sinful. You might have been going, God, I need, and I'm alone. I want to get married. Send me the right man. And God sent you the right man. And all of a sudden, he's no longer God's man. He's your man. And he's going to do life the way you tell him to. Struggled with infertility. God, would you give us a child? And I, I, I want to be a mom. I want to be a father. And all of a sudden, God blesses you. And all of a sudden, it's no longer God's kid. It's your kid. And they're going to do what you tell them to do. And there's plenty of people who've lost their jobs, been on their face before God. God, would you provide a job for me? And then all of a sudden, God does that. And it's no longer the, the resource, the, the blessing about, it's my job, it's my money, I'm going to do with it what I want. It's sin. Samson's strength came from God. But His weakness came from women. And what you're going to see in this is that as He confused His greatest source, Samson surrendered His greatest blessing. His greatest blessing was His relationship with God. He got confused about His source. He was tempted. We're all going to be tempted like Samson. I'm going to give you three ways that we're all going to be tempted just like Samson. Number one, you will be tempted to turn from God and to follow your own way. It is overt in the very beginning of this narrative that God was involved in what was happening with Samson. But at some point, Samson looked in the heart of God and said, you know what? I'm going to do this my way. All those vows that he took as a Nazarite, in the context of this scripture, he broke them all. Some of y'all have been there. I want to be a mom. I want to get married. God, I need the right career. And God delivered it to you. Listen to me. If you get there through God, you're only going to stay there with God. You're going to be tempted to do it your own way. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, there's a way that appears right 
But in the end, it leads to death. It looks right. Some of y'all have been arguing with the heart of God. No, I'm right. Look at me. What I'm doing in this right. No, it's not. It only looks right to you. It appears right. But the end of it is death. That's a, that's a scripture that when we see it, it should scare us a little bit. It should provoke a sense of humility. You're going to be tempted to turn away from following God and to do your own thing. Number two, you will be tempted to find your greatest pleasure in earthly things. This is what happens to the heart of Samson. Very early, a, a warrior's heart, a man of war who has great strength, turns from God, and instead of finding his pleasure in fulfilling God's destiny on his life, he turns from God and he finds his greatest pleasure in worldly things. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. We, we need to guard carefully where our affections are. It's important. Because what you allow to be your greatest desire is what you'll inevitably worship. And what you worship in life, you will sacrifice for. If you allow your greatest desire to be to get that promotion, to get that career, to get to the, you will sacrifice your family on the altar of your career. If you make your greatest desire, I want to impress people. I want the people around me to be impressed by who I am. You will sacrifice your financial stability to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. You'll be tempted to find your greatest pleasure in earthly things you're a believer, our greatest pleasure should be found in the heart of God, in our relationship with God. There's nothing like it. Number three, you'll be tempted to trust the gift above the giver. You'll be tempted to trust the gift above the giver. That's what happens at this moment in the life of Samson. Where in the past, God has moved in his life. Now, he's no longer trusting God. He's trusting the gift. And here's the thing about a gift. When you're given a gift, there's a reason and there's a recept, a, a receipt as, as who it came from. Okay? So, for example, if I knew you were in need and we walked out in the, the kind of the foyer outside, and I said, I'm a, I know you need $10,000. Here's $10,000. It's to pay that bill. I know you've got that bill. I want to help you out. There's a gift. It has an origin. It comes from me. And there's a purpose in that gift. Everything in your life that's a gift has an origin, and it has a purpose. And far too often what happens in our lives is we start to worship the gift and not the giver of the gift. Oh, how many parents 
who have prayed and longed for a child are gifted that and begin to worship their kids. Oh, how many people have prayed for a job and then God gives them that job and they start to worship their career. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That means it comes from God. That's its origin. God has a purpose for every gift that He gives in our life. How naive is it to look to what God has given to provide what only God can provide in our lives? But God, these are my kids now. This is my job. It's my marriage. Why do we do that? It's pride. It's pride. It's the elevation of myself above all else. It's my way. I want to say this real clearly. Taking notes. This is number four. If you let pride live, it will kill you. If you let it live... It will kill you. If you let it live in a relationship, it's going to kill that relationship. If you let it live in your career, it's going to kill your career. If you let it live in your finances, it's going to kill your finances. Wherever you let pride live, it's going to kill you. All throughout the Bible. Proverbs 11, look at this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Eugene Peterson put it so well in Proverbs 16. First comes pride, and then comes the crash. Pride comes before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18. You let pride stay alive. It's going it's to choke out the life that God destined you to have. So let me put this in context today. It's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Dads, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I want you to hear this quick. I want you to know that I am on your side. I am for you. I want you to win. I want your legacy to be strong. I want your family to be strong. I want you to lead well in your family. But you'll never fulfill your calling as a father if you're the most important person in your family. You will never fulfill your calling as a father, as a husband, if you're the most important person in your family. There's far too many guys who've read in the Bible that wives submit to your husbands and they walk around with this kind of arrogant sense of I'm the man in charge. It's my way or the highway. When the same passage of Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He was willing to give Himself up for her. You're not the most important person. If your family is, if nobody's happy, if dad ain't happy, you got a bad sense of who you are in your family. That's pride, it's arrogance, and you need to kill it. Samson lost a tremendous gift because he found his greatest pleasure in something other than the one who had given him the gift to start with. You will lose what you've been given. 
if you let pride live in it. Dads, moms, you're not the most important person in your family. You're not. For the Christian, only Jesus can be most important. It's not about your way. It's not about things going the way you, well, I think this is how it's supposed to. It's not about what you think. It's about what God's commanded. So many of us live out of some arrogant sense of pride. Like it's got to be my way. Let's just get real practical for a moment. When's the last time you talked to your kids about Jesus? Now I'm not talking about some like, hey, let's go to church. How was church? It was fun. Awesome. I'm talking about helping them see the world that they live in through the lens of their faith. Well, I'm not comfortable talking about my faith. Get over it. Get over yourself. It's your job. You're their father. And if you don't disciple them, somebody will. Somebody will show them how to see this world. It's your job. When's the last time you prayed for your kids? I'm not talking about some like, God is great, God is good, let us take him for a I'm talking about laying hands on your kids, coming against the schemes of the enemy. Praying that God's will would be manifest in their life. Praying that God would continue to raise them up. When's the last time you prayed with them? I don't know about you, but man, I think today we, we need a moment of surrender. Samson and Delilah are, are cautionary tales. They show us what happens when we let pride live. You know how the story of Samson ends? Most gifted of all the judges, who's caught by the Philistines, his eyes are gouged out and he's imprisoned. And they bring him out as some circus freak. And his hair's grown back. And then this very uppity dinner Samson prays, God, would you strengthen me one more time so that I can kill these people who are making fun of me? That's his legacy. Pride will rob you of your legacy. Steal the very good things that God wants to give you. Here's the question. It's simple. Will your life be lived under God's authority or on your own terms? One of those is humility. One of those is pride. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.